You're listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Harkins. Hello one, hello all. Hopefully you're doing great today on this morning or afternoon or evening, whenever you're listening to it. I'm having a nice cup of coffee. I'm actually uh, taking the day off work. Got my second vaccine shot. Wow. And if you have not got your vaccine yet and you are able to, just do it because this will make our return to normalcy happen uh, sooner rather than later. But anyways, just get your vaccine, okay? I can't wait to tell you about today's guest. His name is Jameson Isaac. He plays under a moniker named Teen Days. And, uh, you know, this is maybe a little bit left of center musically. Uh, you know, you normally I traffic in the sort of like punk and hardcore music scene. This is just beautiful, instrumental, erythral stuff. Like, if you are, you know, a fan of anything that, uh, you know, could resemble uh, like Beach House, except with no vocals, um, it's just you know, dream pop. People use that, uh, you know, explanation. <laughs> but uh, I fell in love with Teen Days just via, uh, I mentioned this at the top of our interview, via a uh, Spotify playlist. It just, you know, it was one of those things where normally this mute, this type of music isn't meant to like grab your attention. It's supposed to be kind of, you know, background music and not in a bad way, just, you know, something that exists in the background. Um, but his stuff just really spoke to me. And I started to take deep dives into it a couple of years ago and, you know, started following him on social media. And, you know, just out of the blue one day, I was like, I have a feeling this dude has a connection <laughs> to like punk and hardcore in some capacity, whether it's like he went to shows at some point, whatever. I just randomly messaged him on Twitter and he's like, oh my gosh, like, you know, misery signals, melodic hardcore. He's like, dude, this is my jam. And I was like, I knew it. I just had a feeling. So uh, anyways, you know, the the secret punks strike again. And uh, that's why I wanted to have him on because not only am I a huge fan of his music, but uh, I think that people that come from our independent-minded DIY punk hardcore world end up creating some really, really cool stuff. And Jameson is uh, one of those people, even though he may not have played in a band, even though, you know, he does. We actually talk about it in the interview. But yeah, so I highly, highly encourage you to check out this interview and then also check out his music under Teen Days, uh, D-A-Z-E, of course. Um, but it's just, it's really, really pretty stuff. I'll play a little bit of it before we go into the interview. Um, you can also email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. People have actually been emailing some really, really interesting guest ideas and um it's been it's been awesome i love to see that so and you can also just email just to say hi i will respond to those <laughs> i'm not like uh, selective in regards to that it's like hey if you are part of this weirdo music community i am going to be corresponding with you whether you like it or not but if you probably like it because you're writing me an email in the first place but anyways and also leave a review on apple Podcasts. that's incredibly important um i just 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 do that it, it's going to take you less than five seconds to leave a five star, four star, three star, hopefully nothing below that. Um, and then it'll take you maybe two minutes to write a few sentences about the show. It just helps visibility and all these other things that, um, you know, that the system likes the quote unquote system. Um, I'm also excited to, um, you know, just start to think about the world differently because, you know, I, I'm going to be, whatever, maybe a week out from this, I'll have been, you know, fully, fully, uh, you know, vaccinated from that perspective where it's flowed through my system. And then, um, you know, just exciting to see like bands announcing tours. Um, you know, I'm going to be going on tour in February of next year and it just feels more real than it ever has. And so, yeah. Just, you know, be responsible, take care of one another, um, and then we'll get to a spot where we can be in sweaty rooms again with one another. That'll be really exciting. So anyways, 
anyways, uh, let's talk to Jameson. Like I said, check out his band, Teen Days, uh, or Project, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> it's just him. But um, yeah, it's really, really, really good stuff. Even if you are not technically a fan of that sort of like, you know, dreamy, erythral stuff, uh, I promise you will like his stuff. So here's Jameson, and I will talk to you after the end of the episode. I am sure my story about finding, uh, you know, the, the the project that is Teen Days uh, is very reflective over how many people trip into your music. Where, you know, Spotify playlist. Like, yeah, I am a forty year old punk and hardcore kid. That obviously my music tastes have expanded well beyond that. And uh, it was interesting because in getting into like you know whatever maybe the past like seven or eight years, me getting into like soundtracks and whatever. You know, once you flip over that rock. <laughs> the world, yeah. is, you know, um, but it was really interesting because I kept coming back to the music that you were creating because to me, it stood out from, you know, a lot of the other stuff that, uh, you know, was kind of whatever included on a random playlist or delivered to me al- algorithmically. And I'm, I'm going to guess that like playlisting and all that stuff has been huge for the discovery for you. And frankly, probably has put you into the position where you can still, you know, make music uh, that reaches, you know, uh, like an audience uh, in general, as opposed to, you know, you just obviously making it for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. It's, it's such a hard it's such a hard thing to quantify, right? Because I see the types of numbers that I am getting on a platform like Spotify and and there's an obvious correlation, right, between those playlists and the amount of listeners that I'm getting. But I always crack this joke about how one of the playlists that I was added to um, was just called either Sleep or, or Deep Sleep. It was some sort of like sleep playlist. Mm-hmm. And it was so funny to me to think that I was getting all of these plays and, and um, you know, the monthly listenership goes up. And so the met, the, the sort of forward facing metrics that everyone sees looks more impressive, but how almost none of them, I'm guessing, are actually hearing consciously the music that I'm making. <laughs> sure. I have this big boost in listenership and almost all of them are from people who are asleep. Uh, and so, you know, that like, that I do think that that world of playlisting is has been huge to to sharing my music with more people and um you know like I said it's always tough to sort of gauge whether or not that's creating fans or if that's just creating people that that need that sort of whether it's focus music or like you said more sort of atmospheric chill out music um I'm very happy to be a part of their their life and even if it's in a way that you know they're maybe not developing this rabid sort of uh, attachment to my music or something like that. That that is a really interesting thought because I, I do, and I mean I personally don't lump you know the overall I guess you know broad uh, definition of you know atmospheric music, soundtrack music, whatever mm-hmm. like the stuff that is meant to be more in the background as opposed to you know yelling at you in the face or whatever. Yeah, right. But it, it it is strange to think about it like you're talking about where I didn't really think about the articulation of the fact that it really, 
it should blend in from a musical perspective, but then in turn, people aren't getting attached to it in the way that it's like, oh, Green Day is my favorite band or whatever, you know? Yeah, it's like... Totally. It, it is It is very... Yeah. It's very... Um, it's a very difficult thing to sort of think about and and it's a difficult framework to to work in when it comes to thinking about fandom and and just the way that we've always thought about fandom related to music because like you said it those those maybe bands of our youth that we were just so obsessed with that uh were very much like in your face usually literally right you're seeing them at shows and stuff like that um i have always intended for teen days to be a recording project and i've done tours and played shows and i've enjoyed that aspect of it but really at the end of the day it's meant to be music that you're listening to at home and so it almost inherently just doesn't share that same sort of um you know that same it or it doesn't maybe elicit that same sort of response that other bands and other music tends to get um which i'm yeah. okay with I, I i feel like i came to terms with that at a very at a very early uh, part of this whole project is that like you know i'm not making music that's gonna put me on a main stage of coachella or, <laughs> sure. or you know or and and you know to bring it back to playlists like while the scene has obviously changed so much and music in general has changed so much over the last 10 years i think one of the reasons that uh that i have sort of fit into that mold and this this framework of playlists and sort of more passive listening is that i like that type of music i like music that i can just put on and have it be in the background and i've always kind of tried to make that type of music yeah no it's really and like i i'm like thinking about this in real time with you as well where uh, (laughs) just the idea i mean you know watching an artist like you know taiko or um you know even like jamie xx which obviously Mm -hmm. you know has played the main stage at coachella it's like right Going to those shows for me personally was always um, like I I went to them and I had such a vastly different experience, but it it also scratched a lot of the same itches that I get, you know, seeing whatever a hardcore band play in front of me. But totally. you know, to a, to a such a different extent. But then I think the people that do recognize the music that you are doing as you know, kind of slightly different than whatever else is being included will get people to be like, oh yes, like I I like Teen Days as a, you know, a a band, artist, project, whatever they want to call it. Um, It just, like you said, it, there's probably, there's more work involved in that. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I, that's always, you know, that's, really at the at the heart of it that is the goal for me i would like to be the artist that's on a playlist like that that you that sort of makes you go like wait a minute this is this is different from the rest of the stuff that i'm hearing maybe there's more emotion or soul in it maybe there's there's um i don't know there's just something that hits people in a different way because uh obviously i don't want to make music that's purely just generic um you know not impactful i I do, I think that's the goal of every artist really is to make something that resonates with people. And and I do want to do that. It's just funny to be working in a, a medium or a form that, uh, you know, that, that maybe is not necessarily the main purpose of a lot of the music that sort of sounds like uh, what I'm making. Yeah, you know, it's, sure. I think about like the, the Brian Eno's ambient records and, and really just sort of the, those first, first type 
kind of forays into more like if you want to call it ambient or, or you know instrumental electronic music that was meant to be you know quote unquote background music um and that that in that idea of intentionality of being like this is meant to soundtrack a space you know he i can't imagine brian Eno, i'm not gonna put words in his mouth but sure i'm guessing he wasn't making that record thinking like this is going to propel me to like rock superstardom or you know what i mean like yeah so i i do share that same sort of sentiment like i know that what i'm making um won't necessarily you know draw a rabid fan base and at this in the same breath i also really i do want to connect with people mm-hmm. yeah oh no I, I get exactly what you're talking about uh, we'll we'll pull apart some more of those threads a little bit later, but uh, you know, putting the focus on you as an individual. Um, were you born and raised in like the Vancouver, BC area, or did I you was, come up somewhere else? Okay, yeah, I was I was born in this town that's about an hour and a half outside of Vancouver called Chilliwack. Um, in this area called the Fraser Valley, it's kind of like the last Chilliwack's like the last town before you hit mountains, and then there's two ish uh, mountain ranges. It's like eight hours of driving until you get to Calgary and that's sort of where the mountains flatten out. So um, yeah, very, very sort of serene, pastoral, lots of open space, but you're just surrounded by all these mountains just sort of like just off in the distance. Oh, that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's idyllic as uh, it's yeah, I think nice. people call it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I actually, my, my wife and I bought a place here last, in, in Chilliwack um, last year, uh, almost two years ago. And, uh, yeah, I spent, I spent a, a lot of my life in, in a couple of different places, but it, yeah, I, I don't know if it's just the nostalgia of sort of coming back to the place that you grew up in. And, and like I said, I, I, it was a very idyllic, uh, childhood and growing up and we sort of lived not on a farm necessarily, but there was lots of farmland around us that was owned by other sort of members of, my mom's side of the family. And so there's just tons of space. You had that space that you sort of get in, in more like Midwestern areas, but then there were mountains, you know, a two minute drive from where we lived. We could be in what felt like some pretty dense wilderness. Yeah. That's incredible. Did you have uh, brothers and sisters and like was both mom and dad in the house? Yeah. Both mom and dad were in the house. I have one older brother who's almost four years older than me. Okay, so you were the spoiled baby of the bunch. I was very and and continue to be till this day. <laughs> I love it, it. It's funny when I you know I, I sarcastically mentioned that, but like almost everyone you know <laughs> a- agrees. Like whatever their place is in the family, they're like, oh yeah, I was the first one out, so like you know I got the the worst of it, and yeah, then right. like you know it's just so funny how that stereotype exists yeah. for a reason. I think there's yeah there's I'm sure there's some some therapy sessions that could really like pull apart the effects that that's had on my life. But I, uh, yeah, I, to this date, my, my mom just lives one town over and, and actually in the, in the pandemic, she's sort of been our, our, the other person in our bubble. So Mm -hmm. I think there's been a lot of caretaking that's been happening over the last year with her. So yeah, I, I feel that, uh, you know, it's, it's spoiled, but definitely coming from a good place. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Spoiled doesn't necessarily need to mean bad. <laughs> uh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I, that's what I'm running with at least. <laughs> yeah. Take it, take it and run with it. <laughs> the, um, 
so as you started to, you know, kind of like grow up and form more of your identity, you know, where did you find yourself gravitating towards? Like, you know, were you a sports kid? Were you like, you know, obsessed with school? What lane did you find yourself kind of gravitating towards? Yeah, it was, it was sports and music for me, um, which is funny. I mean, continues to this day to a right. degree. <laughs> I, we were yeah. just sort of talking right before we, before we started about my obsession with the Toronto Raptors and with basketball in general. I, my parents were, had a really interesting blend of those two worlds and that they were both like very big fans of both things. So like my mom played basketball, um, in university, uh, actually played for the Canadian national women's team. Um, my dad was a coach in, in a lot of different, he coached, um, basketball and, um, like was a baseball ump for a long time. Um, and then, you know, my, my parents both also grew up in the church. And so there was this kind of like music foundation that came from that, where they both grew up, you know, singing in four part harmonies in these churches and, and, you know, they both also grew up in the sixties, uh, and, you know, music and, and especially like rock music was such a revolutionary thing that I think they both just like, you know, really, um, I don't know, that was their identity. So like I grew up in a house where there was a, I would call it a relatively extensive record collection. Mm -hmm. Um, and my parents just loved music. I think that was a really big thing that I got from, from very early on in my life. So yeah, as a kid, I was, I was, immediately drawn to music my my dad is also i i didn't mention this but my dad is a musician um who played in bands like before i came along and there was just always instruments around the house um and i just yeah they would be able to tell you better than better than i could but i the stories that i hear is that from a really early age i was just like drawn to any sort of music or any musical instrument um so yeah growing up i I think once um, in Canada, we didn't have MTV, but we had much music, which was oh, sort of, yeah. yeah the Canadian equivalent. And as soon as we got cable and got much music, I was just completely obsessed and would come home from school and, and essentially watch it until dinner or, or whatever, you know, that it was just so, it was just, I don't know, like you, like you say, like kids have got their things, right? And for me, it was, it was music. Yeah, no, that's cool. Yeah. And what, um, I guess when you first started to, you know, consume all that and put much music in your head, what, uh, what were the bands or, you know, acts that you were gravitating towards? Yeah, I, so even before I really got into much music, like I said, my parents' record collection was sort of like the, the, um, the reference point or, or the, the source for me. And so there was a lot of like classic rock, a lot of like Beatles, Beach Boys. I think I was kind of, yeah, I've, I was thinking about this recently about how I think there was a connection between my parents' um, education of music coming through the church. And and like I said, that idea of singing in four-part harmony was they just love music with harmonies. So like I grew up with a lot of Beach Boys, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, Eagles, a lot of that sort of, uh, you know, 60s, 70s, super harmony forward music. Mm-hmm. Um so that sort of set the tone for me. And then when much music came along, it was like transferring all of that, uh, classic rock 
um, knowledge or, or that was my reference point for what music was. And then hearing like 90s alternative music was just like really, really eye-opening for me. So, you know, I, w- I was like obsessed with Smashing Pumpkins when I was in, oh man. I mean, when did Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness came out in 95? Yeah. So I would have been 10 or, or 9 so yeah, you know, grade four or five, that was just, mm-hmm. I would listen to the cassette on my way to school every morning. Um, I had an older cousin make a tape copy of Weezer's Blue album for me. <laughs> and that was also just totally life-changing. I listened to that album so much. There's a Canadian band called Sloan. Oh yeah, yeah love who, that band. Yeah, who also make a lot of sort of like power pop, kind of in that Weezer vein um, with this like very Canadian I don't know if I'm just like looking at it through the lens of their entire career or whatever, but they always just sounded Canadian to me. (laughs) Sure. Uh, Again, very difficult thing to sort of try and quantify, but yeah, I, they had an album called one chord to another, which I think was maybe their third or fourth. And, and again, a lot of these references are coming from seeing the videos on much music. And uh, yeah, I, I was obsessed with, with especially Smashing Pumpkins. That was the band that just like, yeah, I was a diehard. Yeah. And did you, I, I guess kind of seeing all that, did you immediately get the idea that like, yes, I would like to play in a band. Yes, I would like to play drums or guitar. Like, how did you, how, how did that, uh, I, I guess, pull itself through? Yeah, I I definitely did. Um, I think there was, it's a difficult thing to describe especially trying to think about it, you know, years later, but there's just some sort of magic about it. There's something where you're like, I like what they're doing. I have no idea how they're doing it, but I really, really want to find out, I guess from a technical standpoint, like I want to find out how do I play the guitar in order for it to make those sounds that I like, or, um, how do I play the drums in order to sort of create that feel or something like that? And those, that feels like a much more sort of adult way of thinking about it. And as a kid, I just like looked at it and was like, that's so cool. Like, I want to do that. How do you do that? Um, and, uh, yeah, I guess, you know, as, as a family growing up, we, we went to church as well too. And so I would see drums in the church on Sunday and I was just like enamored by by the drums especially that was the thing that just like really sort of took my attention um yes and it wasn't long after that you know i was maybe 11 yeah maybe 10 or 11 or something like that when i got my first drum set and that was sort of like put me on the path of of uh playing instruments and and getting into more of the actual playing of things Mm-hmm. And that's always a uh, parent's worst nightmare when, <laughs> I mean, like for I just from, so, yeah, <laughs> yeah, just from like, Hey, uh, you know what, what musical yeah. instrument, how about the loudest one that takes up the most room? Yeah. Yep. That, and, and when I think about it, I, I had my drum set was in my bedroom and it was not a very, we did not have a big house and we did not have big rooms. So <laughs> my, I, I feel like at the time my room was essentially a drum set and my bed um, yeah, they were, I, I give my parents a lot of credit for being very accepting and encouraging. I think they were just so excited that I was getting into 
music um, mm-hmm. that they were like, yeah, they put up with they put up with a lot. And and sure. you know what's funny is later in life, it, when I was in high school and I was playing in like the concert band at school, I also played drums in the jazz band. I think they actually wished I would have been playing more at home because I like wasn't practicing as much as I should have been. Sure. Uh, so yeah, it's it's funny how that works out. Band merch, right? Let's be honest. It is an incredibly important part of all of our lives. If we are going to shows and we are contributing to this independent DIY community, band merch is um, a really important part of it. I mean, whether it's buying merch directly from bands or whether it's buying via rockabilia.com, what is really powerful about this company is that, first of all, they're giving you a rad 10% off offer only for listeners of this podcast, 100 words. That gets you 10% off, and uh, they have so much stuff. What, but what makes it incredibly, incredibly important is the fact that they pay the bands. None of this bootleg stuff. It's all officially licensed. They have so much merch that it, it, they say over half a million items. I would venture a guess they're probably getting close to a million because they have everything you could possibly want. Gifts for your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad, and then also get some stuff for yourself because band merch is the lifeblood of this community. And uh, I love Rockabilia. I love what they do. So again, go to rockabilia.com, use this code 100 words, 10% off your order. You will be happy you did that and use that code because it lets them know that this show sent you. So rockabilia.com, officially licensed. 100 words that is the promo code go enjoy and have fun and did you uh you know as you started to like go into you know high school and everything like that um i'm gonna guess most people kind of assume you to be a really uh you know unassuming quiet person uh, just based off of you know the judgment that they place on you based on your music you know Mm -hmm. uh is that uh i'm going to guess that is reflective like would you consider that accurate or were you kind of you know a a a loud rambunctious teenager and then you know chilled out as you uh, got a little bit older yeah no i was definitely not a a loud rambunctious teenager our family made this move when i was 13 we left um the greater vancouver area chilliwack that we were living in and moved to the middle of the country and we're living in a town that was about an hour and a half outside of winnipeg manitoba um and you know it's a town of 1500 people and i was in the eighth grade when i moved in so you know i think i i very yeah very small community of people that all knew each other it's kind of a tough entry point for a kid to come into a classroom of people that had all known each other since basically since they were born. Um, So I, I think I retreated a little bit from that experience and definitely didn't want to like come into that sort of context and be like, yeah, I'm new. Like check me out. (laughs) yeah, Yeah. No, I, I played it pretty cool, but um yeah, I I was definitely, you know, there's something about living in a small town too where, I don't know, there just like wasn't a lot to do really, if I'm being perfectly honest. So we, uh, it it felt very mellow. Now, now that I look back on it, there was like summers were sort of like my friends and I, you know, all had summer jobs. And then in the evenings, there was like a, a town a swimming pool like a mm-hmm. public pool we would all go there and then once it closed we would usually go play basketball until whatever 10 or 11 and then go home and like very slow um 
very typical of the the area, you know, very sort of like mellow, um, quiet sort of life. Sure. Yeah. yeah, where it's like, you know, you were focused on the uh, the community and the the simple pleasures, even though you would not probably define that as such at that totally. time. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, as a as you know, when I was going through it, I was like, "This is terribly boring." I yep. um, I really actually retreated or sort of like found comfort in the idea of things that were happening in other places that I was really interested in that I was reading about, whether it was like in spin magazine or, you know, this is like early two thousands. So the, the internet is sort of in its infancy, if you want to call it that. And I'm like starting to like dip my toes into like message boards and like, you know, the idea of there being different scenes of music happening in these other cities was just so, so fascinating to me. Um, so I think as I was going through it, I was always kind of like, yeah, like I said, this is like boring to be living in this small town where nothing's happening. But I know that there's a, a place in the world where there is something happening. And I'm excited to get out and actually go experience that for myself. Mm-hmm. Sure. that's it, it is that idea of the, you know, f- forbidden fruit. Well, not even forbidden fruit, but just like untouchable where it's yeah, like, oh totally. man, like, these far-flung places that seem so cool. I mean, even if you're getting raised in a, you know, predominantly urban environment, you still kind of fetishize these other areas of like, oh man, what would it be like if it was in New York City or Austin or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. I'll I'll never forget my, it was my graduating year. Um, I can remember getting a spin magazine and at the back of the magazine, there was an ad for the Coachella lineup that year. And I didn't, I really had a, uh, like no concept of what a music festival really was. Um, you know, I'd heard of Woodstock and sort of things like that, but I didn't, I didn't understand. I didn't know about Glastonbury or any of sort of the big things happening in Europe. And to see that there was this thing happening in California and that every single band that was playing, I would have died to see them play live. And to think that it was all happening in one place, it just felt so incredibly surreal. Um, but yeah, it it gave me that spark to sort of be like, I'm not going to, I won't be staying here. Like I look forward to going out there and actually getting to experience those things, um, but just not right now. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. And so, like you said, kind of starting to consume probably more, you know, independent artists, like as the, you know, internet became more prevalent. And like you said, you know, messing around with message boards, what was kind of your entry point to, you know, that, I guess, next level of, um, you know, whether it was you getting into this stuff that was like, oh, this is definitely not playing the radio or much music. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how, how did that kind of entry point come to you? Yeah, I, it's funny to think about it now because it seems more mainstream than I think I thought kind of felt like it was at the time but when the strokes record came out in 2001 that was like a, again another just like really seminal game changer for me uh if only so that it opened up the door to other bands that sort of sounded like them or or that you know you know the strokes were kind of like doing indie rock on like a bigger scale right um and so you know that turned into me finding out about all those other bands like the white stripes the hives there was like the vines where that australian 
sort of, you know, whatever you want to call it, garage yes. rock band or something. Yeah, str- Strokes Adjacent. Strokes right? Adjacent yeah. sort of band. And from there, I, again, it, it was really through a lot of like, um, through kind of going down those rabbit holes. And, and I, maybe it was it was from, again, reading reviews in Spin Magazine or from from message boards or stuff like that basically looking for the artist that's like okay well oh maybe these artists have toured together uh oh i'm gonna check their record out or um or or kind of just you know you could you could kind of catch a vibe from the articles that you were reading that all of these people were maybe friends or the scene existed so for me it was that new york sort of indie scene in the early 2000s and yeah like i said going from the strokes to like the yayas and interpol um tv on the radio which again it's so funny thinking looking at it i mean man 20 years later that feels really surreal to say but you know they all kind of were indie bands at the time like Mm -hmm. and now they're just so foundational to to i'm really like rock music if you want to use a broad term like that but um yeah, they were all very, really like um, eye-opening and sort of challenging me musically. I would say. Yeah, no, that's cool. And uh, I'm going to guess that you know, as you started to dive even deeper down that rabbit hole, and then you know, probably finding like we were you know communicating over email, like you know, a lot of the you know emo punk and hardcore stuff started yeah. to probably also permeate during that time because you were you know, I'm guessing because of the slow lifestyle and yeah. the internet, you're oh, just like, yeah. I, oh yeah. I downloaded so much music. It was, a, I bought a lot of music too, to be fair. Uh, but sure. the nearest CD store was like a 40 minute drive away. So, uh, it, it, I, I like the, um, CD booklet that I had, uh, was, you know, like massive, there was like four CDs on each page and they were like all CDRs with sort of like hand drawn album art on the CD. And yeah, I was just, I would was consuming so, so much music. Right. (laughs) And I'm guessing just like randomly downloading and listening, like, you know, probably hopping on mp3.com and pure volume and stuff like that. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) To think about that, you know, moving into more of the sort of like emo and punk world, I think it was maybe like the dashboard Swiss army romance uh, LP. That was probably the first one that, uh, that I listened to that really struck a chord. Um, as it did with with lots of people it also was just like totally right place right time i i was like 17 probably when i heard it for the first time and you know it yeah it it also opened up a door and i think the the thing for me was maybe like going through vagrant or or no wait was was did yeah vagrant released vagrant? That. okay okay uh-huh and i mean it came out on drive through initially yeah that's but- right that's right and then Vagrant bought the rights to it or, or reissued it or whatever. Yep. Yeah. So looking at, oh, well, like, who are some other bands that are on this label? That was, that was, yeah, I, I was just sort of starting to, to realize that you could do that, that you could like, um, you know, I didn't really have that experience with some of the, whether it was like Matador or um, Merge or like, you know, I, I don't know, other examples of like indie rock 
classic indie rock labels where mm-hmm. you hear one band and it just turns you on to like, you know, 10 other ones, sub pop or something like that. I never really had that until I, yeah, I reached 17 or 18 and started like looking at like all of these emo and, and, you know, sort of screamo labels and stuff like that. And, uh, so, you know, it's, it's like, um, it's like discovering an artist, uh, years into their career and they have this huge catalog that you get to explore. Um, that's how I felt with that type of music. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you, especially too, because uh, so many of those labels trafficked in that notion of, you know, like building a family and these bands tour together mm-hmm. and they're all from the same scene, even though they're from different cities or whatever. So, totally. you know, Usually, if you liked one, you liked probably 80% of their catalog or their output oh, yeah. at that time. And what's interesting, too, is that the, it even could have been just like one or two songs on the record that you really like. But there were so many bands making, you know, to a certain extent, that type of music um, that you could... I just remember, yeah. I, again, um I feel like magazines were like a really big entry point for me. I I read a lot of alternative press around that time too. And, you know, you would either see an ad for a record or there was just so, so much being made that it, it honestly felt like it was endless. You could just constantly be listening to a new discovery or a new band um, that was making that type of music. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it's really interesting coming from, you know, the uh, isolated nature. You know, it's not like, I mean, I'm sure you experienced and, you know, I mean, you can mention it, it, like going to shows and like going to those, you know, whatever, playing in VFW halls and that sort of stuff. Right. Um, uh, Because that was even further um, removed from where you were located, you had, right, you had to rely on it being imported into you, whatever that may meant. Yep, totally. I've thought about that a lot and and what that upbringing has had on what I was saying earlier about how like Teen Days was never intended to be a live project because I, I realized that I never went to shows. I think I maybe went to like my first... Um, yeah, what you could call like a punk show, um, when I was like 19 and already in, in college, Mm -hmm. because there was, there was one show that happened in my town in the, the years that I was there, um, in, you know, classic like church basement show. Right. They were, they were like a punk band from a couple towns over and one of the guys was like my friend's cousin or something like that. But, you know, I really didn't have any sort of context for punk music, let alone sort of like basement, local band. Um, you know, my my reference point to punk music was like Blink-182 or Green Day. Um, sure. And then going from that level of polish to seeing like three dudes just like, you know, throwing down in a in a church basement, it's pretty different world <laughs> yeah so absolutely. uh it's it a little bit disorienting and and i i it's funny i going to that show just didn't really i remember being like i don't think i want to play that type of music <laughs> and then you know i that that would have been yeah very early 2000s i was still in high school and then when i got to college it all just sort of clicked i i moved to a place that was close to a bigger city um that we we just had more access to going to shows 
and there was more touring bands coming through. I think that's the thing. I lived an hour and a half from Winnipeg and and I didn't even have my driver's license until I was like in my in my 20s. So there was there were obvious there were definitely shows going on in Winnipeg, but yep. I would have never it would have been way too much effort. We didn't even go to Winnipeg for like, you know, if there was a big movie that we all wanted to see. It was everything just felt like there was this distance there that, you know, it it felt too far away. Um, and then sort of moving to a place that was a little bit closer to where all this stuff was happening. Yeah, I can remember those first couple screamo and hardcore shows that I went to were just the I think it was the energy was just so captivating and um I it made me really want to be in a band that could you know whip up that sort of frenzy really <laughs> right right and so what uh what town did you move I guess closer to that yeah so, you went to college so um there's a town called Regina Saskatchewan uh yep. so just you know one province over from where I was living and I was living in this uh it's like a college town that's about an hour outside of Regina but the culture there was very much like on the weekends we will always go into the city and like whether it was to go to like a record store or um, even just to go sit in the park and when it's nice right. there for like the whatever three months of the year or something. But uh, that, that culture just existed a lot more. And um, yeah, it, uh, it was, it was a really, really wild time, not only just because of that, but, you know, like you had said, like what was sort of the entry point into more independent or interesting music. As I was discovering all of this emo and and hardcore music, I was also being turned on to like everything else that I'd kind of missed. Um, As you know, happens when you're at college, you're meeting people that have different life experiences and they're, I lived in the dorms. So there was just like every, that first year that I, there were like three or four people that became these like musical gurus for me who you know, I think you know I was I'm my birthday's at the end of the year so I was 17 my first year at school and a lot of them a lot of these guys were were like upperclassmen who for whatever reason saw me and thought like this is someone that I'm gonna like invest in which I'm really thankful for but you know I had a friend in my first week be like okay here's three records that I think you're you're really going to like. And he gave me, um, Sigurosa's parentheses album. Mm-hmm. He gave me, um, there's this Brit pop band called the doves or just, Oh Dove. yeah. yeah. Last he, broadcast. Exactly. So he gave me that record. What was the third one again? I just remember I, that the, that Sigurosa parentheses album was just so incredibly influential. And, and again, no zero reference point for this type of music whatsoever. Um, just had such a profound effect on me. So, you know, I had another friend introducing me to jazz music and, and gave me Miles Davis records and, and, you know, another friend who was like, you know, here's, uh, I don't know, whatever sort of punk music or hardcore music that they were into. So that was, that was really huge for me. Um, going to school and meeting all these different people and getting, getting all of these totally different types of music and records that I, just had no no way of accessing before right what were you studying in school i studied theology and philosophy but i tried to sort of take as much music as possible so i i went there with the intention this this is like a very small school 
mostly people studying theology and philosophy. Mm-hmm. But they had a recording studio on campus. And, it, and again, I was like obsessed with music. And I had visited the campus th- maybe like three or four years before I even started attending because my brother had gone there. And I, well, we went to go visit him as a family. You know, there's nothing in this town. It's basically just the college. And I had asked like, oh, what's that building over there? And he's like, oh, I don't know. It's a recording studio or something. I was like, wait, there's a recording studio here? He's like, oh, yeah. And you can like, I think they, there's like, you can take classes or something to, to learn how to do it. And that just for whatever reason sparked something inside of me. And I was like, I think that could be, again, there's this magic to like, how did these records that I like actually get made? I've had no context for how to produce music or anything like that. Um, I knew how to play, but I, I didn't know anything about recording. Or So I went to this school sort of um, to, to really try and study music as much as possible in the sort of framework that they provided for me. So sure. Yeah. I took some recording arts classes. I took, yeah, like I said, a lot of philosophy and theology and it was, it was, was there, always, was, was no, there, a, was there a, yeah, I was just going to say, was there a path? Cause I mean, obviously when you're studying theology, um, was the idea that you were going to become, uh, you know, a teacher or, you know, a pastor, like what sort of, I guess, strain or denomination <laughs> of religion was the, the school involved? Yeah, with? It is a Christian. It was a Christian school. Okay. I, I don't really know if I'm being perfectly honest with you. I I probably should have had a better idea of sure. what I was what I was doing. I you know I think when I when I think about it, a part of the reason why I was so keen to go was that I really liked the idea of having the social experience that I really that I did end up having that I'm so thankful for because like I said, you know, coming from a small town where I had friends that liked music, but nobody was like really into it. Like I was. And, and, um, you know, it's just, there, there was no one playing in bands. I just didn't have those types of opportunities. And when I went to this school within the first week, I was like, Oh, there's, there's like all of these musicians on campus. And, and those people were probably there with the intention of you know, becoming maybe worship pastors in a church or something like that, or, or, or maybe becoming like, you know, Nashville Christian music songwriters or stuff like that. I, I'm really not a hundred percent sure, but my whole thing when I got there was like, I want to meet like-minded people that are playing music. And if something comes of it, that would, that would be great. And what's really interesting is that I ended up starting to play in this band. There are these these three guys, uh, one of them lived on my floor in the dorm and his two friends, they needed a guitar player. And so this guy uh, that lived on my floor sort of like, you know, popped his head in my room one day and was like, oh, you know, it was probably like, oh, you're listening to Dashboard. And I was like, yeah. Uh, And he's like, he's like, do you play guitar by any chance? And what's funny is, like I had said earlier, I was a drummer primarily. And then my dad had this... um, this Fender Telecaster and this big beast of an amp that he's like, why don't you take those to school with you? You know, he, he's like, you never know. You might, you might need to be a guitar player in a situation. Like, and I was, I had sort of been like learning, learning the basics or whatever in, in high school. And I had just said like, yeah, I can play guitar. <laughs> sure. And I really, I like did not know what I was doing, but they were very gracious. And, 
it's those those three guys and I ended up playing in that band for a good like probably like two or three years it ended up being um and that was really my first time like playing shows uh you know recording um all of that sort of stuff yeah that's <laughs> that's awesome I, I love those random happenstance things that are just like oh yeah I'll, I'll do that I'll try that yeah. out and and yeah. I like these guys I I was just sort of like and like I said I was so keen on the social side of it that I was just like yeah I'll like hang out and and like goof around and play music with you guys that sounds that sounds like exactly what I wanted to do at that time in my life um sure <laughs> and then it's so it's just so that I, it could probably be boiled down to that one sort of chance experience of him sticking his head in and saying, but like that has put me on this path in life that I certainly didn't predict when I got there. I, I think in the back of my mind, I was, I always sort of thought like, yeah, maybe I'll end up teaching. I was always really fascinated by the intersecting of art and spirituality. There's just, there's always been something there that has, has really intrigued me. Like I said, even watching music as a kid and being like, there's something here. I'm drawn to this in, in a way that is seems outside of myself. So I always thought maybe I would, I would, you know, maybe go get my master's or write a thesis on something like that and then, and then maybe teach. But honestly, I had no solid path in front of me. I kind of just went there being like, I hope I meet some people and, and something good comes out of it. <laughs> sure. Let's, let's figure this out in real time. <laughs> Um, the, so I, I'm going to guess like your, your first like real touring experience was with teen days or was it with anything else before that? So it was actually with this band. Um, we, what had happened is we were wrapped up at that school. Um, I did a two year program there and afterwards, or as sort of, as the school year was ending, we were all kind of like, this is this feels really good. Like playing shows is really fun. Um, we were all such good friends that were like, should we keep doing this? And so we got a place in Regina and, um, that summer was like, you know, something out of a movie. I don't know. It was, it was like four guys living in this tiny two bedroom, uh, basement apartment. Uh, you know, our our drummer my friend Andy like lived in the closet um it, and then we just we all worked terrible jobs and tried to play as many shows as possible I, yeah the story story of many people's lives Absolutely, that obviously get yeah. yeah consumed by the idea of just being like oh yeah like uh, you know I'm young like I want yeah, to tour I want to get this out so did you uh did you tour around Canada did you tour around yeah, the states we, like, I'm trying to think of what the I think what happened was that lifestyle hit a bit of a wall. I remember we were all just like totally broke and yeah. we wanted to to do that type of touring, but our recordings weren't, I think we we just felt that our recordings weren't quite there. I think we felt confident as a, as a live band. Yeah, we were playing like fun, sort of like, not pop punk necessarily, but kind of like emo rock. Uh, and, you know, we, we wanted to have a recording that sort of had that energy from our, live show so we all sort of i think we all moved back home to our to our you know homes across canada and worked for two months so that we could meet up at this studio in winnipeg where we made our ep 
And then the idea from there was like, okay, we can start sort of uh, sending this to different venues and, and see what happens. And so we did a little bit of touring sort of in the prairies around Saskatchewan and Manitoba. Mm-hmm. Um, and then while I was at school, my parents actually moved back to BC. Uh, and so at some point in that, in that transition, they had said like, Hey, we're, you know, we've got this house. It's just the two of us now. If you guys want to move to BC and live in the house and play shows in BC and sort of like, uh, you know, move your life over here, you're more than welcome to do so, which again is another big, like, uh, I don't know. I'm incredibly thankful that my parents were supportive in that way to be like, Hey, I think they were, (laughs) I think realistically they saw us and were like, these guys are kind of living in squalor. Uh, they're barely eating. They're working these like low paying jobs, maybe just like come home for a little bit get it back on your feet <laughs> sure but it ended up working out really well for us because yeah we we got plugged into this scene here in in sort of the greater vancouver area that was really really beneficial for us and we played tons of shows out here and yeah it was it was a lot of fun um that sort of made its way up till uh, i think that in, at, in 2006 is when we decided we weren't going to do the band anymore so I moved back to BC and finished my schooling here in Abbotsford. And that's around the time that I started Teen Days. Got it, got it. Yeah. What, uh, what, what bands were you guys trying to, uh, I guess, emulate? Or, you know, w- yeah. what sounds were you trying to go for? We, I think initially we really, we loved like Taking Back Sunday, The Used, the, the kind of bands that would use screaming uh, kind of like sparingly. But when sure. it did, it had like a real punch to it. Um, so our frontman, lead singer, guy, uh, I think we, we, yeah, we like, he worked on his scream, uh, but he was a much better singer than he was screamer. So I remember like, yeah, loving all those bands, but then starting to be like, maybe we should stick to just singing Uh even though we love all this music and i feel like when that happened it was we were i don't know we really loved like copeland um trying to think of there's i feel i feel like if if you know the stars would have aligned and you know we would have been in the right place at the right time and maybe in a different part of the world uh it we would have like we really loved that tooth and nail you know uh, not screamo or hardcore, but not like full indie. We would have fit really well in that sort of niche of like who else? Like May was another band on there, or um, sure. Berlin. Um, yeah, I think that would. I think that would have been a good fit. Right. That, that, that's that's what we were kind of going for. Sure. Yeah. No, I get. I, I get that. Um, and so then you know, as you started to you know, create music with with Teen Days, and you know, really kind of because. I think what's interesting when you look at, you know, the body of work that you have produced, you know, which, you know, theoretically is a quote unquote easier because you are obviously your own decision maker, but you know, that's a whole, uh, you know, stack of problems <laughs> in and of itself as well. Um, but watching the kind of evolution and the, uh, the palettes that you are kind of creating from, 
uh, it's really interesting to watch that uh, kind of progression, but always still focus on the fact that like, yeah, this is just me. And like you said, you had no intentions of like playing this out live. And so I guess when you did make that switch to playing things out live, was that a real, I I guess, terrifying experience to like kind of undertake that idea? Or was it kind of like, okay. When I started the project, I was in my last year of college and it was really just my way of procrastinating. I should have been doing homework, but I was really into home recording at the time and especially doing sort of like homemade DIY electronic stuff, like the very first Teen Days EP sounds like. And I had all of these reference points of playing in this emo band and sort of what shows and touring was like. And that's all I really knew. I didn't, I had never DJed before. I didn't really know about like club culture or what a live music world in electronic music looked like. And, and to be fair to myself at the time too, it wasn't quite as developed as I feel like it is now. So I was just, you know, I had put these three or four songs up and um, it was generating some buzz. And I started getting these emails from different promoters. Uh, maybe, I don't think I spoke to any booking agents necessarily, but different bands that were like, hey, we're playing this string of four or five shows. Would you be interested in coming and opening? I can sort of facilitate that sort of stuff. And I was so excited about uh, the possibility of traveling. And again, of... I played these shows with this other band before and they were so much fun. I just was sort of, I kind of said yes to everything. And then after I said yes, was like, wait, how on earth am I going to do this? Like, am I going to bring a laptop on stage and just press play? Am I going to bring a guitar? Like trying to sort all of that out. I kind of just thought like, I'll figure it out as I go, Um, which is essentially what I did. But it also meant that I was thrown into some live settings that I was not ready for. Um, I think the very first time I played in New York, I it was for this festival called CMJ that uh, mm-hmm. is not happening anymore, but at the time was, you know, kind of like New York's South by Southwest or something like that. Yep. And um, had never been to New York before. I land. Uh, it, it's incredibly overwhelming. Um, and I I have this very vague idea of like how I had rehearsed, but you know, I'm all I'm like doing air quotes when I say that. It's like me <laughs> sure. at my desk sort of being like, I think I'm gonna play this song and then this one, and uh I, I guess I'll sing over top of this one. And you know, for your first shows of that sort of, you know, with this buzz and hype happening and playing this first show in New York, I truly had very little idea of what I was doing. Um, And yeah, there was definitely a learning curve to say the least. Sure. And I'm sure it was interesting for you too, as you started to have to navigate the business implications and, you know, I I probably use them in air quotes in the same way that you were using, you know, rehearsing. But, you know, once you started to navigate the idea like, oh, I'm getting paid to play the show or I'm, you know, working with a record label, did that come... I guess, uh, you know, naturally, or was that something that you really had to get like comfortable with or how did you navigate the business side? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I've had a couple people in my life that were already in that position, um, who I felt like I could trust their opinions and I could sort of bounce ideas and, and 
you know, sometimes ask like, hey, do you think this looks good? Do you think this is fair? That sort of stuff. But there wasn't a lot of those types of people. So there was definitely just some, some again, like learning on the job um, for better or for worse. I think I, the like first record label, I, that's a really heavy air quotes on that one that right. I worked with, um, you know, promised me well, we're going to press all these records. We're going to do all this stuff. They, um, they put the EP up as a pre-order and we're getting all of these orders and they just never press the record. Um, and the, and like six months, six months of like, Oh, it's at the distributors. Like, Oh, it's stuck here. Um, just constantly sort of feeding me these lies. Uh, and that whole time I was just like, what am I doing? Like I, I, why didn't I take more time to, to suss out whether or not this was going to be a legit thing? I I definitely found myself getting enticed by by offers that were coming in and mm-hmm. usually what I would try and do for this label for example they were working with like four or five other artists that I really liked and from everything I could tell from from sort of you know emails that I'd exchanged with some of those other artists sort of asking like is is everything legit here they'd all said yeah it's all good like like definitely go ahead with it um and it ended up not working out but yeah, it was I I I tried to I tried to use my judgment as as you know, as good as I could, but um really I think if I am to give any sort of advice to an artist that's starting out, it's I wish I would have spent a little bit more time plotting that path or or having a vision for what I wanted the project to be because it would have given me a better sense of like who I want to work with and, and would given would have given me this sort of ownership over like, yeah, I'll work with you, but this is what I'm looking for. Can you do that? And if they say no, then I'm like, okay, cool. Then we, we won't work together. I don't think I had quite that type of assertiveness in it, which I, I wish I would have. Right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Hindsight's twenty twenty on that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm still here, right? Like, I think exactly. I, I've made it this long into my career, so I think I can trust my judgment to a certain degree. Um, but it did mean that there was a bit of yeah, there were some some sticky situations that I kind of had to get myself out of. But mm-hmm. so it goes. Yeah. The um the last thing I wanted to hit on was the uh the idea that you know you uh I mean I, I know you obviously don't like do you technically do music as like your full-time job or you obviously do that, you know, in relation to all the other things you have going on with your life? Yeah. Music is my full-time job. Um, That's incredible. Yeah. It's, and like I said, it's, it's still, it's been 10 years. It's still kind of wild to me to think of um, even having gone through that. Cause like that, that story with that first record label is not my first, I don't know if I'd say horror story, but just like I've had bad experiences with people that I've worked with over the past few these past 10 years now that it's been uh and i'm still here managing to have it be a sustainable job for for me and my family so uh, yeah it's it's wild i yeah i still kind of pinch myself um when i when i think about it right and i i guess the uh the question i wanted to elicit from that is the you know the idea that i mean fortunately with the type of music that you create it definitely 
it's it's more reflective over you don't have to exist in the same way that many bands have to as far as like the trappings of okay it's been 18 months i have to put out a new full length because i have yeah, to get right. on the road and like you know that sort of treadmill yeah. like you can exist in this you know sort of weird um you know in between state as it were yeah. um Whereas like bands, they're obviously forced to, it's like, Hey, it's been 18 months. You have to release a new record and you only have 18 months of like inspiration or influences to draw from. Um, So, you know, I I guess the, the oversimplification is like, you know, do you basically kind of, you know, wait for inspiration to uh, sort of hit you or are you, you know, kind of using your time as like, Oh no, like I'm, you know, from 10 to four I'm writing or, you know, how does that kind of structure itself? It's a little bit of both actually. Um, I, like I said, I, I, uh, I have a family and, you know, I have a young son. And so since he was born, I have to be a lot more efficient with my time. But before then I definitely treated it like a nine to five. Um, because I think I, right from the start, I got this sense that all of this had happened in a window of like right place, right time. And I wanted, I want to do this as a, as a living. And so I need to find a way for it to be as sustainable as possible. And the thing that I just kind of kept leaning back on was that like, if I treat it like a job and if I treat creating like a job, job is sort of like, you know, pejorative, but like if I, if I treat it like my career or my life's work, then, um, I'll always be, I'll always have something that I'm able to release or, um, kind of show for myself, I guess. Um, and so, yeah, I, that mentality of always working on something, um, definitely is kind of now just my, my foundational, like creative workflow or practice, but it's funny how those, like you said, though, those like inspiration hits will happen in amongst that. So, whether it's maybe getting a new piece of gear or, um, you know, limiting the gear that I have to sort of set myself up with a certain type of arrangement, or maybe it's just like hearing something new that I'm like, oh, this is giving me a ton of ideas for for something to do or a new project or something like that. Um, yeah, that's and that definitely. I'm sure because of the you know insular nature of what it is that you do, you know, like you there is that additional pressure of the you know editing process where it's like is this really good or is it just something i like or whatever kind of in the middle of that right now actually i i have my next teen days record is like all done i I mean it's 90 percent done um and because that the process of like finishing the record and then everything leading up to it actually coming out and then you know sort of the 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 like afterglow of that record, you don't want to just release something immediately right afterwards. But I'm because I'm always working, I have music, you know, that I've that excuse me. Sorry, edit that out. Um no worries. I have uh the record that I made that's gonna be coming out later this year that's that's basically done with that music was made a year and a half ago, um, with obviously little like tinkering and and changes here and there but i've been working on a year and a half's worth of music up until then um and so that means there's certainly a ton of like ableton files that are are just like 
whatever loops that aren't going to go any further than that. But I have a set of music right now that sounds pretty different from anything else that I've ever released. And I, I really like it, but I also like, it's difficult to make music that I really like, but sounds nothing like anything that I've done. And I'm kind of sitting on it and being like, when should I release this? Should I release this as teen days? Should I release it under a pseudonym? Um, I'm in the process of sending it around to some friends and sort of being like, is this a path that I should be going down or is this? Sure. Yeah. 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 No, that, that that's cool. I, I, I appreciate that our, our articulation. Cause yeah, it is. Um, it is. It, it, Cause I, I'm sure you also struggle with the idea of like, Hey, uh, you know, like, yes, I could release, you know, 15 songs over the next like two months or whatever that are of varying quality, but like, yes, could get me on playlists and like that whole push and pull of the, constantly flooding the market for and i use the market as you know (laughs) very yeah yeah. but just that idea of like you know am i giving people too much of this like you know they're gonna get sick of me i felt that a little bit and because i um yeah i because there's no one i have people in my life and, and creative friends that like i said i do send music to and and try and gauge from their response um you know if it's if it shines a little bit brighter than other stuff that I've put out. But at the end of the day, it's really just me sort of making these calls. And and like I said earlier too, trying to trust my gut. Um, and yeah, it is wild to look back over the last 10 years and, and see I've put out so much music, um, which I keep sort of like leaning back on this idea of like, I think it would be really cool i hope for someone to discover my music now and be like oh there's you know i think i'd mentioned that earlier about a band's discography or a label like wow here's like seven full lengths and seven eps worth of music that i get to like dive into and and start to trace and sort of like connect the dots between like oh i bet they were listening to this at this point in their career or or whatever it it's pretty it's pretty wild to think that i could be that artist for someone um but it also does, like you said, it leaves you with this this feeling of sort of like, am I doing too much? Like, may like I don't want to overwhelm people. Also, like I would, I would, I want it to be exciting when I release a new piece of music for the the people that follow me, and and you know maybe for for New Year's as well, rather than just like, oh yeah, well of course he's putting out a new record. Like it's you know it's Thursday or something like that. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, so, this is it's, it's, it's right on schedule. You know, yeah. For sure, for sure. Well, thank you so much for hanging out. I really appreciate it, Jameson. Thanks so much for having me. So that's what we got this week. Thank you very much, Jameson. I appreciate you letting me reach out to you on Twitter and engaging with me and being like, oh, sure, that sounds awesome. Next week is a it's a special episode because uh, this is a side of the music slash hardcore community that uh, I, I frankly haven't given much airtime. Towards. And that is, uh, you know, something that I, whether it's a deficiency of mine, I just, you know, it's not my own personal experience, but the guest is Curtis Running Rabbit Left Hand, and he does a music festival in Canada in the Calgary, Alberta area called Wild Rose Hardcore Festival. He's done it for a couple of years, obviously did not happen last year, but, um, you know, is, is a really important figure within the, uh, you know, constructs of the 
not only the independent music scene, but making sure that Indigenous people, not only in Canada, but North America, get recognized within independent music, but then also people understand that there are people that are contributing to this community in a real way. So Curtis actually emailed me, and it was one of those things where I was like, I've heard of the Wild Rose Hardcore Festival, and I've been aware of it, but I did not know that it really had a connective tissue with the Indigenous people community, not only up there, but sort of, you know, worldwide in regards to, because like, you know, they bring bands from all over the world. But anyways, Curtis was a really, really fun chat. Um, he's a hardcore kid himself, so that's why he decided to start this hardcore festival. Um, and it was just a really compelling chat. And like I said, this isn't something that I see really spoken about widely. And so I wanted uh, to dig into that with him. So that's what we do next week. And until then, please be safe, everybody. <laughs>